After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy, and we are here to break down week 12 of college baseball. It was quite the strange weekend, I I guess I'll I'll, I'll say, Joe. It was, there was a lot of bad weather, uh, particularly in the eastern part of the country, and that really messed up a lot of plans on Friday. Uh, there was, a, as we talked about on the preview podcast, there were a lot of teams off for finals, so it's a bit of a lighter slate. Uh, but that did not change the fact that we uh, were in a wild college baseball season, and it got wilder this weekend. Kentucky handed Tennessee its first series loss of the season. Significant upset, obviously, there as number one goes down. Oregon State swept arch-rival Oregon uh, out, out west to take control of the Pac-12. Big series win for Arkansas in the SEC West. Uh, and the Big 12 got another little shakeup as Oklahoma upset TCU. We're going to get into all of that and more here on today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. So, Joe, uh, fun weekend, kind of a weird weekend, but uh, an overall another really exciting weekend around the country. My big takeaway is that if mother nature continues to dominate like this, she's going to mess around and host a regional. Like that's, that's where this is ultimately heading. It's uh, a weird weekend for sure. And we got some stand, some interesting results that kind of made it, I think feel like a, a, a busier weekend than it actually was. And I was reminded of how, just how many teams were off or playing out of conference games or what have you. When I was looking back at our, the top 25 tracking sheet that you and I work on, kind of in the background every weekend. Um, I was kind of reminded of that because there, there really was quite a bit that ended up happening separate from, from the weather. And I was also reminded, by the way, of this time of year being the, the low-key downside to the college baseball season happening when it does because everyone focuses, and rightfully so, on like how cold it is when we start. And this winter, I think, in particular, has refused to loosen its grip on a lot of parts of the countries. I've heard that refrain over and over again this season, and I felt it myself. But the the low key thing is that when it starts to warm up, it starts to rain. And I think this is the first little glimpse of that we've really gotten on like a large scale this season. Um, but it's a reminder of that's kind of what this sport is in May and June. And um, so that's that's not fun, but it is reality. And I have this weird kind of Pavlovian response to it where 
when we have kind of rainy weekends like this during the late spring, early summer, uh, or what I, you know, I think of as the, the early summer, even though we're not there yet from a technical standpoint, like I'm this Pavlovian response of like, Oh, the postseason is coming. Cause that's just kind of what I associate with it or, or rainy days and, and humid climates and rain delays and things of that sort. Yeah. It, and it got started on Thursday. Uh, and I guess we're just going to dive right into, to it there. Uh, we, we got a really good indication that this weekend might be a little wacky when on Thursday, a, a day that there were only like three games, like usually Thursday's always light, but usually there are a few more than three. It was just the one SEC game. Oftentimes the SEC puts two games on Thursday. Uh, I guess that was, uh, you know, that there are finals rules in every conference. And I think that's probably why there was only one Thursday night SEC game last week. Uh, but there's that BYU, of course, always plays on Thursday. And then Dixie State was playing on Thursday. That was it. And we still got a crazy, crazy start to the weekend as Kentucky beat Tennessee three to two in 13 innings. And uh, that we should have known right then that it was going to be a, a different weekend of college baseball. Um, and Kentucky built on that series opening victory to go on to hand Tennessee its first series loss of the season. Um, Kentucky held a, uh, held a lead in the eighth inning on Friday when the rain finally became too much and they had to suspend that game till Saturday. They go on to win five to two in the resumption. Uh, Tennessee does get the, the finale of that series, which was a seven inning game by SEC rule. Um, but still the Vols go down, lose the series for the first time this season and do it at Kentucky of all places. You know, Tennessee has, has played in these, you know, high profile series. They, they've, you know, played at Vanderbilt. They, they went to Oxford. They, they, they did all these things that, that at the time, you know, were, were high, high profile series. And, you know, this one was maybe their lowest profile series, uh, except for maybe when they played Mizzou at home. But even that was, you know, Tennessee on this this winning streak and and their their SEC winning streak and all the rest of that. This weekend just it just did not really register uh, that Tennessee at Kentucky was was going to be a, a series that we were all kind of locked into in the early part of the weekend. Uh, but that's where it happened. Kentucky gets a massive series win as they try and and get into the NCAA tournament they are, they have a narrow path now uh, but a path certainly exists for them uh, so huge for the wildcats but on the flip side obviously the the story is kind of just number one losing and doing so on the road uh, against Kentucky yeah it, you know we don't we don't spend a lot of time on this podcast like really talking about the 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 uh, machinations of our top 25 discussions although it might be time as we it might it might be a decent time as we go through this conversation to talk a little bit about kind of our, our thoughts on splitting the hairs of one versus two this week with Oregon state and Tennessee, because I know there's probably some Tennessee people listening who have heard us talk and, and maybe explicitly say on this podcast, although you and I both forget what we've said on podcast, what we've said off air, what we've just said to other people, what we've written, all that stuff. Um, but we, I know I've definitely thought it before, like they could lose a series and still be number one. And that obviously didn't happen. So that's something we could talk about as, as we go on. This and, conversation. and we should, 
Uh, I hate talking about the top 25, but that thought is definitely out there. It's pretty pervasive right now. And, and uh, so we, we, we will uh, take some time here in a little bit to address why that yeah, thought just, previously may have been true, but just isn't true right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a worthwhile conversation and, you know, it, Tennessee fans, I think in this case, deserve um, to hear the, the rationale because if for no other reason than to kind of really just give you a window into like, we really, you know, agonized over it. And that maybe that's a little bit too strong a word because it's, it's just college baseball rankings. Like we shouldn't be agonizing over, but we really spent a lot of time on this last night and struggled hard with it and changed our minds three or four different times, probably. So um, that was tough. Anyway, back on the, the stuff on the field. It, it is kind of one of their, their lower wattage series this season, really since they've gotten going. And I kind of think that's what it was always going to be if they tripped up like this. Now, I wouldn't have expected it to be Kentucky just because I, I frankly just didn't think Kentucky was going to be good enough to pull it off, right? I thought Tennessee could play their B or C or even D game and maybe win this series. Um, but this, I felt like this is kind of what it would look like eventually when when Tennessee would take that step back, right? It's it's on the road, so you don't have that, you know, that home crowd kind of helping you, uh, you know, pull yourself up. It's Although there the were a sucks. lot of Tennessee fans in attendance. There were. Tony Vitello talked about it after after the series, just how many fans they had there at uh, Kentucky Proud Park. And very visible for the finale, like right behind home plate, a bunch of them. Um, but it's on the road. The weather sucks. Like the weather was as bad there as it was anywhere else. Every time I turned it on, like, it felt like there was a, like a film on the camera, but it wasn't that it was just because there was, you know, rain coming down. So it was harder to see like the action. So the weather sucked. There was like very little atmosphere, even on Thursday, which I guess was the day in which the weather was best. Like the crowds weren't massive. So there was like very little atmosphere. It seemed like, so there wasn't that energy. Cause even like antagonistic negative energy when you're on the road, especially for a team like Tennessee that thrives on that kind of thing. Even that, even on the road, that can buoy you. They didn't get any of that. And the offense went quiet. And I feel like that's always kind of what it was going to look like is the offense would have a bad weekend. They are not able to feed off emotion. Like there's a lot of reasons that's just not going well. And that's how they lose a series. And, and here it is. And again, I, I wouldn't have guessed it'd be in Kentucky, but I, I feel like this is at least stereotypically what we assumed it would look like when this happened. Yeah, the offense was really the the issue here, and credit to Kentucky pitching for for getting it done. Uh, but they kind of got Tennessee out of their game. Tennessee, you know, is takes a lot of really quality at bats. That's kind of their thing. Like everyone talks about the home runs, and that that is certainly Tennessee's thing as well. Uh, but but more than anything, I feel like it's about the depth of the lineup, how consistently they take good quality at bats, and that just didn't happen this weekend. And some of that, absolutely. It uh, goes credit goes to Kentucky pitchers for that. Some of that probably goes a little bit to the weather. And some of that also probably goes to the fact that it wasn't happening for Tennessee. And as that doesn't happen, um, you know, particularly after you lose game one, if, uh, you know, if, if it continues to be a struggle, it becomes more natural that, that you would press. And uh, especially for a team that, you know, is running with the expectations, the weight, uh, you know, they haven't been in this kind of situation uh, hardly at all this year. They'd only lost one series opener, um, I guess two. They, they, they did lose in 
uh, Houston in game one, but they, they just hadn't been playing from behind much this season at all. And that's what they were, were trying to do here this weekend. Um, it, it just, the, the offense still clicks at a, a really high level when it, when it really clicks. But I, for the last few weeks, um, it seems like they have been contained a little bit better, but, but nothing like this weekend when um, they were held to two runs in the, the first two games of, of this, of the series. And uh, you know, I, I don't think it has to be anything more than, than a hiccup. Uh, I don't know that Kentucky rewrote like the book on Tennessee. Uh, I think Tennessee is very well aware of what they were doing uh, you know, what wasn't working for them. So they just need to get back to, to being who they are. And, um, you know, I have pretty high confidence that they'll be able to do that. But, you know, I, I, you do have to say a lot about what Kentucky's pitching was able to do, particularly Tyler Gifoyle on Thursday, who, uh, you know, is Kentucky's relief ace and came out of the bullpen for six, uh, six scoreless, held, uh, held Tennessee to one hit and, and gave Kentucky the opportunity to finally, breakthrough against Tennessee's own really talented pitching for that, that three to two win. Yeah. In part because of Guilfoyle's outing, uh, I saw this stat in, in a piece by Mike Wilson, Knoxville news. Uh, he was there over the weekend that Tennessee and Thursday night's game went one for their last 42. And that's, um, you know, that's probably not going to get it done. Just, uh, just gonna, just gonna put it a fine point on it that way. Um, but between that and not hitting a home run, the first two games, like, those kind of really stand out as the numbers that hammer at home. And if you're looking for positives, you know, uh, Tennessee still pitched well enough to win chase Dolander returned, looked pretty good. So, you know, they can afford games like this. These just kind of got away from them a little bit, not got away from them in terms of like getting blown out, but just like slipped away. Um, they still pitched well enough to win. And I think one of the interesting things coming out of it is again, shouts to, to Mike Wilson. I saw a Redmond Walsh quote in, in that piece, where uh, Walsh said, look, you know, we lost two in a row this weekend. If we do that in the, and I'm paraphrasing, if we do that in the postseason, it's over. And like, that was kind of interesting to me because I, you know, it, it does really hammer home that if this kind of thing happens in the postseason against good teams in June, like that's it for them. And the teams they're going to be facing in the postseason are going to be every bit, even in a regional are going to be every bit as good as Kentucky and, and probably better. And um, so that, you know, for a team that, they're not, they're not ignorant. They're not dumb. They're not, they don't have their heads in the sand. Like they know they have to play better, but it does really hammer home the fact of how fleeting life can be in the postseason, even for a team that's played as well as they have all year. I mean, look no further than Arkansas. Um, and that, that, that obviously was, uh, you know, they, they didn't lose all season. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, after winning a game, by like 20 runs in the game one of super regionals, they lose back-to-back games and they don't even get to go to Omaha. It, it is a, it's a strange sport. And yeah, it's uh, like things come at you fast there in June in, uh, in, in the postseason. Uh, on to Kentucky here. Um, Kentucky came into the weekend fighting to uh, just make it to Hoover. You know, the top 12 teams in the SEC make it. Uh, to the SEC tournament, they were they were fighting for for just to be the 11th or 12th team uh, in that that field uh, in a few weeks down there. Uh, they're still, frankly, that they're, they're still in that fight. Uh, <laughs> this week, I did it did not just suddenly lift them comfortably into into the field for Hoover, but it did mean that they have uh, a little bit of room there to to breathe. 
I, I think that they're in the field as of today. I would you know have to break down some tiebreakers, but um, they now also beyond just looking at like all right, well let's let's just get to Hoover and then figure it out from there. Uh, they can look at a real path to regionals without needing to you know really roll through and, and win the SEC tournament or something. They're now nine and fifteen in the SEC. Their RPI is fifty eight. They're 26 and 21 overall. None of that is good enough. Um, they're going to need to finish strong. But they have series wins now against TCU, Georgia, and Tennessee. Uh, those teams are all projected regional teams. Uh, they're, two of them are projected as hosts. TCU is, is the one that's not. But TCU might finish second in the Big 12. Those are three loud series wins uh, for their resume. And... While the metrics right now aren't good enough, they have this series coming up at South Carolina. Uh, if they can win that, then they finish against Auburn. They'll play somebody good in the SEC tournament. Your metrics can turn around quickly in the SEC. And again, they have these three really big ticket items on their, on their tournament resume. They're setting up for what could be a really interesting resume. Now they have to go out and build on this at South Carolina. They cannot lose that series. They lose that series, it's probably all over. Uh, but Kentucky has, with this series win, opened a legitimate path uh, to regionals, which uh, they have not reached since 2017. Yeah, it's a narrow one, like you mentioned. I mean, they probably need results the next two weekends. Um, and they, they do have... Well, the... I'm open to the idea that like they don't need to win the series against Auburn. I am open to the idea that if they swept South Carolina and then lost to Auburn going four and two at that point, you're 13 and 17. Uh, and then you win on Tuesday in the sec tournament. I'm open to the idea that that is enough, but like, so the, I'm now asking them to sweep an sec road series. So like maybe it's easier to just beat Auburn at home. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing is like asking them to that. That's I'm assuming like a two out of three against South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, yes. If they, if they sweep and then lose the series. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the I think we're saying the same thing though. It's like getting to 13 wins. Yes. Yes. Um, they need at least four more wins and probably five, including the sec tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's super narrow, but you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's right there. Um, and they need to get to at least 13 wins and they have to hope and, and playing Auburn will help, but they have to hope the RPI makes a move because 13 wins tends to get you there if your RPI is closer to 30 something as opposed to 40 something. So um, we'll see, but um, yeah, kudos to them. Cause I, I think, you know, it should be celebrated that we're, we're sitting here really parsing it out, but you know, this was a team that, that felt um, you know, felt like they were just on the wrong side of it, especially because they'd missed opportunities against teams like, like Ole Miss who's turned out to be not very good and Missouri who is, is not particularly good. And they lost those series. So it felt and like they played like they had four or chances. five straight rubber games and just weren't able to win them. And, you know, yeah. it, 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 things would be so much different for them if they had just won one or two of those. Um, but yeah, they, they, they had been close. They'd been in all these series, but they hadn't won. They'd only won one other sec series this season. And that was Georgia. Yeah. I mean, they, they haven't really gotten run off the field since the series against Arkansas, which was, first weekend of of sec play so yeah they, they've been right there and, and perhaps they're they're hitting their stride and they're going to need to, to to get there frankly uh all right so i guess we can insert our top 25 discussion in here we're, we're going to start talking about oregon state here in a second who is the new number one team 
in the baseball America top 25. They swept Oregon uh, this over the last week. They played four times. Uh, three of them counted for Pac-12 play there in Corvallis. They swept that. They also beat them on Tuesday. Um, Oregon State jumped from number two to number one in the top 25. As Joe mentioned, we agonized about it. I think both of us flip-flopped like three times in that conversation last night. Uh, these teams are incredibly close. And, you know, there is this idea out there, and like, look, we probably played into it, uh, that Tennessee was just so far ahead of the pack that they could withstand a serious loss. Now, I will say about that, nobody expected their series loss was going to come against one of the teams that is potentially going to miss the SEC tournament. Like, I know I just said what I said about Kentucky and how they have a path to, to regionals. They also have a very clear path to missing the SEC tournament. Uh, this is a team that, you know, is not, they, they didn't just lose to Auburn. Okay. They, they lost to Kentucky. And so that, that should be said that, you know, t- they have now, uh, not the worst series loss that they could have or, or anything terrible. It's a road SEC series. These are all difficult series, but it's also not the same as Oregon State's one series loss, uh, which is against Stanford, a team that is in the top 10, that is in the mix to host regionals, that is second place in the Pac-12. Like that, So that's a, a significant factor. And then the other thing is, I don't think anybody really was paying enough attention to how tight Oregon State was really closing the gap. Oregon State is number two in RPI. That gap has tightened significantly. Uh, And a big part of that was that Tennessee just took this, you know, uh, a a tough series loss. And Oregon State just picked up four really big wins against a quality team in Oregon. That tightened the gap. Oregon State has played uh, what is judged by the official NCAA metric to be a harder schedule. Their strength of schedule is 22 to Tennessee's 39. Uh, their non-conference uh, you know, resume is like infinitely better than Tennessee. Uh, I don't really care that much about that. You know, Tennessee plays in the SEC. I'm not looking for them to, you know, go out and try incredibly hard in, in non-conference. I, I don't care about that, but it should be noted that Oregon State did really challenge itself in the non-conference, and that's why its strength of schedule is better, despite the fact that Tennessee plays in the SEC and, and Oregon State plays uh, in the Pac-12, which is a good conference, but not rated as highly as the SEC. Uh, Oregon State has played away from home more often and better. And this is one of the bigger things to me. Tennessee, yeah, it has a better record. Uh, it is 42 and 42-6 versus 38-9 and nine for Oregon State. That's pretty marginal, but it is better, unquestionably. They have 12 wins against teams RPI 151+. plus. Uh, Oregon State only has three of those. So, again, that that all just goes into the Tennessee schedule, a little on the light side relative to Oregon State. Uh, You know, we're talking about teams that are winning the Pac-12 and the SEC. Like, we're really splitting hairs here, and I'm really splitting hairs to make this Oregon State argument. Sure, Uh, but that's what we have to do here. I can't in this top 25, Joe. I, I don't know how many people realize this, but there can't be two number one teams in the top 25. We have to pick one. And so as much as I would like to just say, ah, they're both number one, like we did have to make a decision. And ultimately, uh, Oregon State, the way that they're playing right now is a factor and the overall strength of their schedule is a factor. Yeah, it's a little little like an underreported fact that um, 
you have to, you know, you have to have a number one. You can't have two. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that to the fore. There can only be one. Indeed. Um, yeah, sometimes you have to split hairs. Like sometimes we say, oh, we're really splitting hairs here. But like that is when you're splitting hairs, you have to make difficult decisions that like you could just as easily someone could come here and make the defense of Tennessee. And depending on who you are, like you could be swayed by that. And you, you, I'm not here to tell you you'd be wrong, right? I mean, you can make an argument for both of these teams. You can make an argument against both of these teams. I don't think you're going to be wrong in either case. Um, I won't muddy the waters because you laid out the argument for Oregon State versus Tennessee pretty well, and I don't want to. I, I really don't want to muddy the waters because you did it pretty clearly. I mean, the other thing is just that is that you know Oregon State is really seems to be playing really well at this point. You know, Tennessee has clearly slowed down a little bit, so that's a factor. And also, let's be honest, like just the the idea of Oregon State having swept a rival, you know, the way they did. They're five and zero against them. Uh, you know, oh, by the way, they have wins against a top 10 Gonzaga team as well. Um, you know, w- when a team loses at number one, loses a series, and the team behind them swept a good team like that, like the poll mechanics suggest most of the time you make that switch. Now, this is a special case, and that's not something I want to just live by in every case, right? Like, I don't want to just by default have to move teams around because of results. But that's another thing when when it really boils down to it, like, you know, you made a great point about, you know, when, when a number one team wins a series, we don't think twice about leaving them at number one, no matter how good or bad the opponent is, no matter how impressive or not they did in winning the series. If, if the number one team in the country wins a series, we don't give a second thought to just penciling them back in at number one. Um, so unless we're going be willing to kind of do that week to week and think about over, you know, overtaking the number one team in the country based on all those kinds of things. And maybe we should, by the way, but in week 12, of the regular season, if we're not willing to do that moving forward, like the team that lost should probably move down and the team that won should probably move up in this scenario, given, you know, everything that we've talked about. I wish we spent more time analyzing the number one on a week to week basis. And sometimes I do try and, you know, look at it more deeply, but there is just an autopilot of like, Oh, they won. And uh, you know, that, that gets us into, different issues but like there there is just a, a something about like how you're playing right this second this isn't power rankings you know we're not trying to do this on who is playing best right this second but it's also a subjective ranking and like that does map you know how you're how you're doing lately you know that that plays into this if you don't want it to play into your your rankings uh just look at rpi the computers cannot think about that uh but if you if you are a human evaluating this, like I think it's impossible not to be swayed by the most recent result. And in this case, that was Oregon State looking amazing and Tennessee, you know, scuffling on the road against one of the, the bottom end teams in the SEC. So that's where we landed on it. Maybe it'll be different next week. That's the beauty of this. Things change. And also, by the way, if you don't like it, like remember. <laughs> The NCAA tournament committee doesn't care about this either. So, yeah. uh, you know, they're they're looking at RPI. They're not looking at our rankings. They're not looking at any other human rankings. They're looking at RPI exclusively. Yeah, like I was gonna say, like I don't want to undercut our entire exercise or the importance of rankings, but like you know, in two you've been listening to this teams... podcast for like twenty five minutes now. I think it's okay. We can we can let out the secret. Yeah, like these teams will be in the NCAA tournament in like three weeks, and they're either gonna like 
move on or not. Right. I mean, like these teams are the two best teams in college baseball right now. And like, yes, I understand why you'd want your team to be number one, but ultimately like this late in the season, they're just bigger, certainly the people actually in the program, but also just in general, like at this point, we're, we're now kind of pointing towards bigger, more important things on the docket. Yes. Uh, final, final thing here before we get into Oregon state is that uh, when we project the field of 64 on Wednesday, Tennessee is going to be the number one overall seed. And frankly, is that not what you care about? Although maybe it's, maybe you don't want to be the number one overall seed. So, uh, you know, it's a thought nobody's won it as number one overall seed since 99. So food for thought. All right, let's get into this Oregon state sweep, Joe. Um, the Beavers, their, their pitching staff did a really good job this weekend against a strong Oregon offense. We talked coming into the series about how these were the top two offenses in the pac 12 and uh, neither pitching staff was able to completely silence the other, uh, the other offense. The Saturday game was offensive as Oregon state won eight to seven, but otherwise uh, the ducks had no answers for Oregon state pitchers this season. They played five times. Uh, they, they just, they have not been able to uh, to get much of anything going there, and uh, the Ducks uh, have been outscored this season by the Beavers twenty three to eight in five games. Uh, so that's uh, that's a pretty strong statement by Oregon State. Um, I think that you know they they were particularly motivated to kind of make that statement after last year losing to the Ducks uh, in, in the season series. This year they they leave no doubt. And uh, I mean, this team, if you're not watching Oregon State on a weekly basis and like uh, understandable considering the Pac-12 network situation and everything we don't need to detail here, but this is a team that has the highest scoring offense in the Pac-12 at 7.77 runs per game. They're in top 10 nationally in Team ERA, 352, and they lead the nation fielding at 989. They've got probably the best pitcher in the country in Cooper Jerpy. They've got an uh, in Jacob Melton, another likely potential first round pick. Uh, I mean, it's a really complete team. It's a really good team. And that was what was on display this weekend in Corvallis. Yeah. Like I, you know, I don't want to give them a short shrift by not having like some really insightful take here, but like, to me, it just stands out that this weekend, they just really without much drama. I mean, Saturday's game was close, but like wasn't in many ways. I mean, I think Oregon, I don't have the box scores up, but I think Oregon maybe scored late in, in the, the ninth inning there, maybe to make it closer, some such. Anyway, it just really wasn't that close a series ultimately. And look, I mean, they, they scored enough. Cooper Jerpy was great. The bullpen was was really good. Um, I think Jake Finnig's, uh great news on Sunday with the fact that he's getting back up to full strength now. He threw five innings. Uh, looked really, really strong. That's good news for them moving forward. They made one error in 27 innings. I mean, it was just comprehensive. Like, there's no other way to put it. There was no real drama. They took care of business. Um, you know, could we nitpick and say like, well, you know, they didn't really take advantage of Oregon's pitching staff the way they thought we could have, right? I mean, Oregon didn't get great starting pitching, but their bullpen was able to do some things. And so like, if we really want to nitpick here, but that's what it would be is nitpicking because otherwise this was just a really comprehensive series sweep and there's no other way to put it. Uh, Oregon to clean that up on Saturday did score two in the ninth to make that a one run game. Uh, Oregon State able to hold off the, uh, the, the comeback attempt there, Oregon pitching. Um, obviously we've talked about how, you know, that staff is not the healthiest. They're just not, they're not where they, they want it to be 
um, in an ideal world. Uh, and they, they walked like 11 batters on, on Friday. And, you know, I'm sure that Oregon state would have liked to get more than five runs in a game where they drew 11 walks, but, uh, you know, at the same time, they, they just controlled all these games and, you know, it, it wasn't their loudest offensive showing, but it was, it was just a really solid, solid weekend. And that's what Oregon state has been doing since they lost their series, uh, to Stanford, uh, at the start of April, they're 17 and two, they, they just have put their head down and gone about their business. And, uh, you know, they're in first place in the PAC 12 by three games. They're, they're streaking towards another PAC 12 title. And, uh, I mean, it just, everything about this team is, is clicking right now. And, uh, you know, if you look at the overall body of work, this is a team that went five and zero against Oregon, a team that's not on the top 25, but you know, if we ranked to 30 would probably be there somewhere. Uh, they're three and one against Gonzaga, a team that's now into the top 10. Uh, they, they just, they've been the good teams on their schedule with the exception of one hiccup against Stanford. And, um, I, I just, I am so impressed by what Oregon State has been. I, I knew this team was going to be good coming into this year, but for them to be as good as they are in all facets, um, and, you know, they aren't, they don't have their ideal pitching staff either right now. And, uh, you know, Fennig's coming back is, is a big deal. His five innings was the most he has thrown since uh, opening weekend. Um, and he looked great doing it. And, and if they're going to roll out a rotation of Chirpeak mats and, and Fennig's rolling for going forward. I mean, that's uh, that's really scary, and and that's a team that can absolutely contend and, and go win a national championship. Yeah, I mean, it was. It seemed like they made a couple of statements there. One is that they have clearly separated themselves in the Pac-12 in terms of the number of games, yes, but also just in terms of quality. Um, no shots at Stanford, but there's just a difference there, and. Um, it also, they, they, I mean, obviously because we have them ranked number one, but we had talked, you know, uh, last week about, you know, is Oregon state closer to Tennessee or closer to the field? And like, we know that answer now, um, we know which side they're closer to. So it's, it's, it's two teams at the top now that kind of have separated themselves as opposed to just one. Um, and that's, that, that's the power of what Oregon state did, did this weekend. Cause it, it couldn't have been much more impressive. Uh, briefly on Oregon, how concerned are you? This is a team that's now 13 and 11 in the pack, five games off the pace. They're in fifth. Uh, their RPI is really strong. I don't think they're in danger of missing the tournament, but they're two and eight in their last 10 games. Things just have not been trending in the right direction for them. And now two and eight, but five of those eight losses are against the Beavers. Uh, so like, I, I don't know if Oregon has a problem or if they just have an Oregon state problem. Yeah. I think it might just be the latter, honestly. Um, I, you mentioned they're probably not in danger really of missing the NCAA tournament. I, I'm with you there. I, and I think how well they play once they get into a regional is going to be pretty matchup dependent. Um, you know, if, if they, if they can get into an offensive regional where it's just going to be a situation where the last at bat wins, um, then I think they've got a pretty good shot because they can win games that way. But if, if they're getting in a situation where they're going to have to win, you know, have to have to get it done against elite pitching or, you know, win some close, low scoring games. I think that's going to be where they'll, they'll be in a little bit more trouble. So I think it's a team that can do some, they've proven time and time again this year that things don't have to go perfect for them to win. Um, but I think that's going to depend on what they see in regionals to whether or not they can get that done in the postseason. 
they're not locked into Spokane in part because Spokane is not locked into hosting. But yeah, I think uh, Oregon would be quite happy to uh, not go to Gonzaga if Gonzaga does end up hosting it. Try their luck somewhere else. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I also think they'll just be happy to be done with the Beavers for now. I mean, we'll see if they play in the Pac-12 tournament. But uh, these these last uh, couple of weeks have been have been tough for for Oregon trying to uh, play the Beavers here. Uh, all right, so we're going to uh, move on here. Uh, we, we still want to get back into the SEC to talk about Arkansas and Auburn, and we got to talk about that Big 12 uh, title race shakeup. Uh, so we're going to do all of that and more here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go back to the SEC. There was a top 25 matchup uh, in the SEC West as Auburn hosted Arkansas. And uh, the Hawks just got it done again. Uh, you know, I think Joe and I are a little bit both just kind of in awe of the way Arkansas keeps just finding a way. This is a team that you know is leading the SEC West now, has a pretty commanding lead at this point. Uh, and they, they just... They keep going about their business. And this weekend, they didn't get an amazing start from Connor Nolan. He's been a big part of what they've done uh, all season long. And he was fine, but like it wasn't, uh, you know, Auburn was able to get to him in a way that a lot of other teams haven't. Didn't matter. Arkansas came back and scored a bunch of runs and won that game. Auburn wins on Saturday, forces a rubber game. And, you know, you feel good about Auburn on Sundays with Joseph Gonzalez going and, uh, again, didn't matter. Arkansas just went out and, and did their thing and, and won a tough road series. And, you know, we talked coming into this weekend about how this was the spotlight was going to be on Arkansas a little more this weekend. And 
Uh, how are they going to respond to this tough road environment? And the answer was they uh, they just went out, they did their thing, they won another series, they're in first place in the SEC West. Uh, their RPI got a nice little boost from that, and uh, they uh, they are tracking towards another SEC West title. Yeah, it's uh, they're, they're, I mean that's a skill. I'm, I'm I'm convinced more and more the longer I the longer I do this, I'm convinced there there is a a skill to being able to just kind of win games when things don't go well and shape shift, try to win games different ways. I do think there is a, an inherent skill in that. Um, some teams seem to have it. Some teams don't in, in Arkansas this year, but just generally last year, obviously they were just so, so good, but in most years they just tend to be kind of one of those teams. And so I do think there is something to that. I think there are a couple of interesting things to, to kind of add on to the, all the things we've said about Arkansas all year. I mean, one is that this team does seem fairly comfortable trying to win bullpen games, you know, and last year that was a real issue if it didn't involve Kevin cops and most games involved Kevin cops. But you know, if, if, if you got past that, there was a real question about what they were going to get. I think this team's a little more comfortable with that or is a little more um, willing to do that or has been pushed into doing that. However, it's happened. I think there's that. I also think there was a few things in the lineup that I took as positives this weekend. You know, Robert Moore has really been scuffling this season. He has not followed up um, his first season with the season he would have liked to have had this year. He was an impact player this weekend. I think that's a big deal. Um, Jace Borofin has been battling injury. He was out for about a month earlier this season. And right before he went down with injury, he was heating up. They're also playing him quite a bit. I think they they trust him or at least want to, to be able to put trust in him. He swung the bat well this weekend. Uh, Kendall Diggs is a guy who's been like a bit player so far, but they seem to be inserting him more and more into the lineup to see what he's got. He hit a walk-off home run against Ole Miss. He had, you know, I think four hits in three games this weekend. So, um, you know, if you're looking for some positives here and some growth in this lineup or growth in this team, I do think you can look at a few individual cases in the lineup and start to see some positives there for maybe a situation where this lineup maybe isn't quite so, so top-heavy as it has been for most of this season. We also brought up the idea that Jackson Wiggins um, you know, had been on a bit of a short leash uh, lately, and I feel like he pitched pretty well on Sunday. He gave them gave them what they needed. They got they got some good pitching outside of Nolan. And you know, I'm not concerned about Connor Nolan. I'm not concerned about anyone having a bad start against Auburn. Really, I mean that offense is really good, and um, you know it, it'll happen. But uh, I, I thought Wiggins coming in and, and pitching well on Sunday was uh, was a really nice sign. Uh, for Arkansas as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about Robert Moore is, is definitely true. He, he uh, went out and, and hit a, a big homer in, in that comeback on, on Friday. And it just kind of seemed like it kept rolling for him and kept rolling for that offense overall. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't, it's still not the, the best offense in the country, but it does seem like they, they found a little bit more form this weekend. And maybe some of that was playing in an offensive environment in Auburn. Who knows? But it, it does seem like they uh, they're trending in the right direction uh, at the plate, and that's obviously a, a really good thing for for Arkansas and a really bad thing for for anyone that that's going to be matched up with the Hawks the rest of the season. Uh, on Auburn, really tough two weeks. Knew it was going to always going to be hard. They go two and four at Tennessee, and then home to Arkansas. Um, we talked last week about how they weren't going to want any sort of moral victory and they just need the wins and all the rest of that. But again, 
you know, in a tough series against Arkansas, I thought Auburn acquitted itself well. Uh, I don't know, you know, it's top eight seed hopes or they're not, they're rockier from here on out. Uh, they're still certainly there, but uh, they're going to have to work pretty hard for it at this point. But, you know, regardless, th- this is a team that is, uh, is dangerous and has shown that they can play with anyone in the country. You know, right now they're maybe a little bit short on the mound, and I think we've seen that over the last two weeks. But they're, uh, you know, they're plenty good enough to to make some noise in in June. Yeah, I think I, I heard on the broadcast uh, at some point that Blake Burkhalter would have been available. It didn't really have a moment for him, I guess. So like maybe they are going to get a little bit healthier on the mound, at least in terms of of the bullpen. And uh, you know, the Nationals, the top eight seed stuff, it, it gets a little dicier. It's still a team that's in a position to host. Um, and that's the big picture thing here. Going two and four is is more or less what you expect when you're facing basically two top five teams. I think Arkansas is at six, but you, you know, um, point being, it's it's two very very the two toughest teams they could have possibly played in SEC play back to back weeks, and they they handled five. it okay. Five, okay, yeah, two top five teams. There you go. Um, the last two weekends they've got Alabama and Kentucky, and you know, I guess we've seen Kentucky play spoiler, and we just talked about that path having to maybe go through getting a result against Auburn. But, um, you know, Auburn's looking at it and seeing Alabama and Kentucky and SEC play left. If they take care of business there, they're going to be, you know, playing games at home um, on the Plains in June. And that's um, a huge deal. And this was while they would have liked to have gotten a result either of the the previous two weekends. Um, they did what they needed to do. Um, you know, if you want to host in the SEC, one of the keys is the teams that are better than you just don't get swept. And they're right there doing exactly that. All right, so uh, that's that's the SEC West. I guess briefly before we leave the SEC West, um, AM won its series against South Carolina. Uh, that was harder than expected, and LSU uh, went out and won its series against Alabama. And you know, right now RPI suggests that AM is in the worst shape of any of the SEC West teams to host. That's a bit of a surprise to me, uh, as I had kind of thought they were tracking towards hosting and now maybe LSU has jumped them in the pecking order. It's possible all four of those teams still host, but um, it was a, a much more difficult weekend than I think AM would have liked against South Carolina, but they do get the series win at home. And that is absolutely the name of the game this time in the season. All right, we're going to head to the big 12 uh, staying in the state of Texas as Oklahoma traveled to TCU. And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about TCU over the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks since they, they went out and they upset Oklahoma State and moved into first place in the Big 12. And then last week they uh, went and got swept in two games in Florida State. Come back home, back into Big 12 play, still in control of their own destiny in the Big 12 race. And they went on Friday night against Oklahoma uh, without Riley Cornelio, who uh, was out, out with an injury. Um, Austin Krobe replaced him in the rotation, did not get a great start out of Austin Krobe. Uh, but no matter, they won. And then Oklahoma came back and won the next two games, uh, looked very good offensively in doing so. And the upshot of all of that is that TCU now has fallen out of you know, falling behind Oklahoma State in the Big 12 race, uh, really pretty much that their their hopes are are, are very much uh, 
riding on uh, somebody giving them some help now. They're going to need help to win the Big 12. And Oklahoma got a serious win that they really needed to uh, to improve their chances. Uh, you know, we kind of had them as a bubble team for the last, uh, you know, really throughout the entire season had Oklahoma as a bubble team. This is the kind of series that takes Oklahoma off the bubble. Uh, you know, they, they still have to go out and they have to finish, but I am no longer going to be projecting Oklahoma as one of the last four teams into the field or, or anything close to it. They're, they're looking quite good coming off of uh, a really nice series win in Fort Worth. Yeah, previously, Oklahoma was on what I like to call the take care of business, don't get swept plan, which is where you, and this is the thing, by the way, like this is not just silliness, like it's, you know, in major conferences to to just be an at-large team, all you really need to do is just make sure you win the series against the teams you should beat, you know, occasionally toss in a sweep against a team that's really struggling. And then against the teams that are on paper better than you, just don't get swept. And like, that's precisely what they've done. You know, they, they, they haven't been swept in any of the series against the, you know, the other good teams in the big 12. And whenever they've had a series against a team, they should beat whether that's Baylor or Kansas or Kansas state, they've taken care of business. And this was the one, this was kind of the game. So that, that was probably going to get them in if they'd have lost this series, but then, you know, won a series against West Virginia and then lost a series against Texas tech. Like they probably get in as a bubble team, but it's a little dicier. This, to your point, kind of changes that calculus. They feel safely in now. Um, so that was uh, raised the ceiling for, I guess, for the for this Oklahoma team. Obviously, they're into the top 25 as well. So um, big, big series when you can't overstate it there. Um, still a team that's kind of looking for answers on the mound, but maybe they're finding some. Um, you know, as, as Jake Bennett has backslid a little bit, you know, uh, Chaz Martinez like piggybacked with David Sandlin in this series. It didn't go great um, in this particular instance, um, but that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Cade Horton got a start on Sunday. Um, and oh, by the way, the other Big 12 team in the state of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, started Trevor Martin on Sunday. So that's kind of interesting the symmetry there with teams turning starts over to guys who had been relievers. And so that's kind of an interesting thing there. So maybe that's an answer if Cade Horton can stretch out. Um, certainly it worked on Sunday in, in a small sample, obviously. So um, perhaps that's something there. You know, the offense has has been good all season. It appears to be maybe getting a, a little bit better as they're hitting their strides. Certainly they're swinging it better than when I saw them early in the season when it was really just one or two guys, Blake Robertson and Peyton Graham, really doing a lot of the heavy lifting. That has gotten better. So it's a good team. Like it was a team when I saw them in Houston, I was not overly positive about this team in general and their postseason hopes, but, um, you know, they've, they've, uh, been better than I expect them to be. And it's at this point, I think it's just, uh, just a good team. I think that's a really good point. Joe and I both saw Oklahoma in the first three weeks of the season and neither one of us walked away very impressed. I saw, um, you know, Sandlin was, was good against Arizona. Uh, and then Arizona ultimately got to him. And at the time it felt like Arizona was like one of the best offenses in the country. And since then that, that has not really borne itself out, but, um, I, I liked what I saw from him, their offense though, just wasn't really clicking. And, you know, they knew they were short on the mound at the time. Cade Horton was not able to pitch yet, but they knew he was going to get back soon. And, you know, they, they, it just wasn't there. And then Joe saw them a couple of weeks later, still a lot of the same problems. They have gotten a lot better as a team. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a credit to, to them for, for finding some answers, both, both to the players and to that coaching staff. Um, Horton is an intriguing 
prospect as a, you know, put this as a literal prospect, but also as a, as a starter going down the stretch here. I'll be curious to see what that looks like moving forward as, as he gets more reps in that role, if, if that, if that is what they're going to continue to do. And, uh, you know, finding more offense outside of paying Graham is, has been kind of the key this whole season long. And it does kind of feel like they're finally hitting their stride in, in that respect. This is a solid TCU pitching staff, even without Cornelio, uh, and, and Oklahoma was able to, to get a bunch of runs on them and lumped it. And some of that was that, uh, TC was very wild on Saturday, although I think, um, TCU coach Kirk Sarlus would maybe suggest they were getting squeezed a little bit. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just watched that replay last night and uh, Kirk was not happy with uh, with the, the way that that game was getting umpired, I don't think. Um, but, you know, still the, Oklahoma went out and they got it done. Uh, and, you know, the, the way that they're playing right now is has been very impressive and, and they uh, they're certainly tracking towards uh, an NCAA tournament appearance. And, you know, it's been a little while since uh, since the Sooners have done that. It's been since 2018. So, uh, you know, good job uh, for, for them to, to go out and, and win the series. And uh, in doing so, though, they are kind of throwing the the Big 12 title to uh, to their in-state rivals there as, as Oklahoma State very much in the driver's seat now. Uh, the, the Pokes were not playing a conference series this weekend. They're playing Southeast Missouri State. They look great in doing so against a team that's atop the OVC standings. Um, big series this weekend, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. And actually, Oklahoma State is now in a position where it can clinch the Big 12 this week. Uh, it's an incredibly narrow path. They need to sweep Texas Tech for starters. Uh, but they are now in a position where they can uh, you know, really be eyeing the Big 12 title for the first time since 2014. Yeah, Oklahoma State sit on the sidelines last weekend as far as conference play goes, and they benefited greatly. So sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes that helps. And, you know, TCU, we've talked about it time and again, like they're they're running out of time to make a move because they're out of conference the last weekend of the season. So another interesting, interesting recall there. And boy, does, you know, TCU going five and one against Texas Tech and Oklahoma State wasn't that long ago. And boy, it feels like a while ago. Um, the last two weeks just haven't gone as well. Um, they... They had, I mean, they've obviously got a few things happening on the mound. You know, Cornelio got skipped. They put Austin Krobe there. It didn't go particularly well for Austin Krobe, who's still very much kind of working his way back. They started Caleb Bolden on Sunday rather than Brett Walker, who's been their regular Sunday guy. We've kind of talked about Brett Walker and kind of the what you the good and the bad of having him in your rotation. Uh, Caleb Bolden is a little bit of the same thing, I think, in some ways. So they're, they're really kind of fighting it in that regard. And I, I kind of went back and looked and it's just a team that that that's really the key for them is what do they get on the mound? Because they don't, you, you kind of look at their schedule this season and they don't win a lot of games where they have to really scrap and win games 11, nine. And nobody likes to win those games that way. Like there's not anybody that's really looking to win that way. There are teams that do it well, but they, they just don't, they haven't won a lot of games like that. They've won some games eight to five or seven to four things like that, but, but they're not winning a lot of those, those really ugly 13, 12 rock fights. Um, so they, they, they really do need to kind of uh, keep opposing offenses in check, or at least that's been their track record so far this season. Yeah. I, I think that is uh, that, that that's definitely, definitely been the case. And I, their, their offense doesn't really stand out as being, you know, that, that, that doesn't feel like it should be the best part of that team. Um, it's been solid but not great. And, and I think that's a part of it. Um, 
TCU now, you know, we had them projected as a host last week. That's over. I think, uh, I think they were going to need, unless they go out and they, they win the, the big 12 tournament in Arlington. I, I think that they needed uh, their, their RPI just has never matched where they've really been. And if you really parse their resume, it's a little light um, with the exception of that Oklahoma state series win. And uh, so I, I, I think it's, I think it's pretty much over for them in that, that regard. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if the big 12 can get a second host, even I, I kind of don't think it will. And, and that's kind of crazy given the way that the big 12 seems to be, you know, we, we think highly of several of these teams, but uh, unless Texas is going to close really well, cause they still have an RPI worthy of hosting, but Texas tech doesn't uh, play in three games and Stillwater will help this weekend, but Texas tech doesn't have an RPI to host right now. TCU doesn't Oklahoma doesn't like, um, it, it's, it's an interesting evaluation of, of where that conference is. And I don't really know how to make sense of what our eyes and subjective feelings about these teams, uh, are versus the, uh, with, what the RPI is saying, but what the RPI is saying is that Oklahoma state right now is going to be the number three overall seed, uh, and they aren't going to have another host. So that's, uh, just kind of a interesting, strange, situation that, that the big 12 is dealing with this season yeah i mean it's there's interesting on the back end too we, we talked about this offline yesterday i think texas tech our texas tech's rpi problem will take care of itself if it wins the games we expect it to win but like they're sitting closer to 50 than they are 40 and you know the track record of teams in a conference like the big 12 getting a bid with an rpi i mean maybe they would give a little benefit of the doubt to kansas or kansas state maybe but generally speaking the big 12 you're not getting a lot of help if your RPI is not in what we would, you know, top 40, top 45 range. And so, you know, Texas tech really, they felt so solidly in the field all season. And now we kind of look up and it's like, well, they, you know, they can't really mess around. I think they're going to get there, but they really don't have as much margin for error as you would think. No, I put them as a number three seed last week for the first time. And uh, let's say that didn't go over so great with some of their fans, uh, but I, the it's there for them not to be but it's also there for them to be. So yeah, they're, they, they're not in a position where they have a, a, a ton of leeway here and uh, big series coming up this weekend in Stillwater for them. Uh, okay, Joe, let's go to the ACC. This was a very strange weekend in the ACC because so many teams were off or playing weird non-conference quick weekends because of finals. Virginia was off. Virginia Tech uh, only played Villanova twice and, Notre Dame was off and, um, but still we had, uh, Miami was out of conference. We had some notable things happen here. One was that Georgia tech went out and got swept at Clemson. And that was a stunning and B really significant for Clemson's, uh, at large hopes and C a backbreaker for Georgia tech's hosting hopes. Uh, so that happened. UNC won a series at NC state. They, they take the tobacco road rivalry series uh, that's a really big deal for UNC's at-large hopes and NC State's hosting hopes. Uh, those were the two big things that happened. You know, Wake split a series with Louisville because they tied on Sunday due to a travel curfew. Um, still a pretty strong week for Louisville overall when you throw in the fact that they won at Vanderbilt on Tuesday. That was a big RPI week for Louisville, and uh, they're in position to be a top eight seed now potentially. And um, They've got a really big series coming up against Virginia Tech. So we're not going to talk too much about Louisville here because we're going to take care of that on Thursday. But, Joe, between what happened at Georgia Tech, 
um, and, uh, and Clemson and, and what happened there in Raleigh, uh, what, what stood out to you? I mean, it's just the, 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 the competing, those two series that, you know, the competing North Carolina and Clemson resumes that it strikes me that it doesn't look like maybe Duke is going to end up making the run that we thought they could make, but outside of BC this year, it, it's over in the for ACC, Duke. I, I'm sorry yeah. to say they, they lost a pit this weekend fair everyone has had a run you know like everyone's going to get a shot here at this thing um and that's the acc very giving uh very uh very kind of them to let everyone get their chance here but yeah clemson has one of the weird resumes too i mean they're they're a little like extreme texas where you know texas has that rpi where it's like you know this team could host if they get it together clemson's not there but i mean their rpi is in the top 20 i mean they they're in a situation where they probably don't have to win quite as many conference games as some other teams would because that RPI is going to be so high. They're going to, they're going to get some benefit of the doubt if their RPI is top 25 or something. So uh, those two things stood out to me. It kind of keeps those paths open. Those two teams, Carolina and Clemson were probably one more series loss away from it being curtains for them um, almost certainly. And so now they're back kind of in that, back in that mix um, and making a run, which we, you know, th- this is the ACC. I think we kind of knew that um, you just can't, you can't really write teams off in this, in this conference. And and for Georgia tech, it's um, you know, it, it's kind of more of the same. Like this is just a team. You can just set your watch to kind of the, you know, the, the disappointing losses and the surprising series wins. And it, this team just kind of is what it is. So while I was pretty shocked that it, that it was a sweep from Clemson, the idea that they would lose that series was not altogether all that shocking to me, I guess. Clemson is playing at Virginia this weekend. They really cannot afford to get swept. And I, I, I note that because like, that's a thing that happens to Clemson. They went to Louisville two weeks ago. and got swept. Like, so they, they cannot let that happen. Uh, they got swept at Notre Dame. Like they, they just don't play super well on the road. They need to go out to Charlottesville and find a way to win at least one game. And then they have Boston college at home on the final weekend of the season. BC is going to, uh, BC's already, I think, been eliminated from ACC tournament contention. BC is going to be on the beach by then. And so, I mean, you, you've got to, I, I almost never say you got to sweep series. You got to sweep that series. Those have to be three wins. So at that point, if they don't just don't get swept this weekend at Virginia, sweep BC, that is 13 ACC wins, which normally is not good enough. But Clemson has five sec wins to add on to that and their strength of schedule is 10 you know they have a top 20 rpi like that is a resume that gets an sec team into the tournament we have not seen a ton of acc teams follow that standpoint or, or that that path but clemson may well do it this year and i am very fascinated to watch them try and figure this out over the last two weeks i mean and that doesn't even count what may or may not happen in charlotte and because of the way the ACC tournament runs the pool system. It's a little convoluted how, how easily it would be for Clemson to advance uh, to the semifinals short of just winning two games there. But um, big, big week for Clemson. Georgia Tech now also low-key kind of in trouble. <laughs> um, they're 12 and 15. They have the number one strength of schedule in the country. Uh, th- their resume is just more like Clemson than you might realize. And they have... S- they have, they are maybe the, you know, the Rutgers basketball, Rutgers men's basketball of, of college baseball this year. If you, if you pay attention to college basketball this year, Rutgers got a lot of attention for having some amazing wins and some terrible losses. And that's basically where Georgia Tech is at. They can beat anyone, it feels like, uh, but they also can lose to anyone. 
and they have done both of those things. And I, you know, if Clemson, if Georgia Tech gets into your regional as a three seed, like, man, I would not be excited about that because they're certainly good enough to win any regional. They're also capable of going 0-2, so who knows? Um, UNC talked about it, just had not played well on the road this weekend, took advantage of the fact that they were on the road, but it was a short road trip, and uh, they go out and they get it done. Um, they're in intriguing shape as well. I, the, the ACC just it's a hodgepodge right now. Uh, any given week, it feels like something can happen. And, and, uh, and usually it does. Yeah. I mean, the, we, we've obviously had, it's been helped this year. You know how last year we talked about, you know, at least we have kind of Notre Dame to, to cling to and because the rest of the ACC felt mediocre. And this year, I, you know, you could point to maybe Virginia tech or Miami has outperformed expectations and things like that. But um, you know, the idea that we have, you know, still have teams that like should, I, I, I shouldn't say should, but teams that we thought were just dead in the water three weeks ago, making these kinds of runs. And the fact that we've got teams with, re, I mean, really glaring weaknesses, um, whether you want to point at, you know, Florida state and the fact that if, if they don't get elite pitching, like they really struggle or Louisville, which is they've kind of got to score a bunch of runs to beat you because they, they really can't trust their pitching week to week or, you know, Virginia doesn't seem to play all that well away from home. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, rotation in particular is slipping a little bit. Like there are these teams that have really glaring weaknesses that are just kind of continuing on in the ACC and are going to be hosting regionals and might be top eight seeds and all that. I, you know, I want to celebrate them, but also I, I do think there's a little bit of, again, indictment of the ACC being, being more mediocre than anything else. Um, okay, so having talked about some bad losses here in the ACC, let's go out west and talk about two more bad ones. Uh, Joe, Arizona lost a series to Southern Cal. That's last place in the Pac-12 Southern Cal, which is a weird statement and maybe worth some more time some other day. But uh, last place in the Pac-12 Southern Cal uh, beat Arizona. They now, the Trojans are so weird. They have series wins against UCLA and Arizona, whatever. Uh, Arizona, another bad series loss. And UCLA had a just abysmal week going 0-4, uh, losing to, to Long Beach on Tuesday in extra innings and then getting swept at Washington uh, over the weekend. Neither did good things to their RPI. Both of those results are part of the reason why Oregon State took such a commanding lead in the Pac-12. Um, ah, UCLA's RPI suggests it's in serious bubble issue right now. I just don't know how true that is. Um, the West coast does get some benefit of the doubt. Like I assume UCLA is going to recover this and finish well, but margin for error is now starting to be eliminated out there. Arizona is in much better shape RPI wise, but like also just, you know, we've talked about it before. This, this is a team that has taken some bad series losses and, and here was another one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's becoming increasing. This, this league reminds me of the, of the big 12, the other 12 uh, league. Um, in that Oregon State, much like Oklahoma State, has established itself, and it's kind of anyone's guess about anything else. The one difference here is that I think Stanford is somewhere in between those things, where I don't know if Stanford is closer to the pack here or closer to Oregon State. I'm guessing closer to the pack right now because Stanford does have this kind of tendency to lose games it shouldn't this season, or at least on paper shouldn't. So uh, that's kind of the way I lean there. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a league that's um, – 
that just hasn't really established hasn't outside of Oregon state has not really had anyone establish themselves as yes, we are a national title contender. I mean, Stanford has had his moments. It's still a top 10 team. We thought that about Arizona coming into the year that has not come to fruition. We thought, you know, UCLA is crazy talented, but also crazy young. And I think the results this season have reflected that. And, you know, the big, what if I think some of this is Oregon just because they've had, um, some injury issues on the mound. They fought through them. We, I mean, we just got done talking about them a little while ago, but th- their RPI suggests like this was a team that if things had gone a little bit better and have not been quite so rocky, like it's a team that maybe should have hosted and could have been a top eight seed. And when you can do those things, like it opens up a path for you to be uh, a team competing for a national title. So I think there's an alternate alternate history here that, that Oregon is maybe that team we're talking about here, but it just hasn't hasn't been in the cards. And of course, going 0 and 5 against Oregon State is, is going to draw a stark contrast there. But it, it certainly, it just feels like a, it's been an uninspiring year, I think, in the Pac 12. And, um, you know, there have been five teams in, in regionals, pretty much all solidly in regionals to this point, and like no one else really even in the mix. And, and that kind of continues on. And so it's taken a lot of, taken a lot of focus away from the conference outside of talking about how good Oregon State is. All right, uh, a couple really impressive pitching things I want to touch on here before we get out. Um, first happened on Sunday, Long Beach State's Jerron Watts-Brown threw a no-hitter against UC Riverside. He struck out 16, walked one. That was the only blemish he faced, one above the minimum. And stunningly, that's the first time Long Beach State, incredible history, incredible pitching throughout its history, it's the first solo no-hitter in uh, in program history. Uh, so congratulations to uh, to Jerron Watts-Brown there. And then on Friday night, uh, East Carolina was playing Memphis. C.J. Mayhew for the Pirates threw nine hitless. Uh, he walked one, faced one above the minimum uh, in those nine innings. And landed Gartman for Memphis through eight hitless. He struck out 10 and walked four. That game went into extra innings, so C.J. Mayhew does not get a no-hitter, uh, but he uh, he gets a no-hitter in his heart, and uh, I think everyone else's. Yeah, sir, um, sorry about that little technical uh, snafu there, but uh, I dropped my... Um, uh, what, what's what's the word, Teddy? The, um, the, uh, the pop filter again? The pop filter, yes, thank you. I was struggling for my words there. I dropped my pop filter. I have to kind of manually hold it up in front of the microphone and uh, slid down on me. But yes, in my heart, certainly a no-hitter for CJ Mayhew, a guy who um, has really been nails for ECU throughout his time there. So um, really a wild game. And, and that one was one on Friday that, you know, in a Friday that didn't give us a lot else in many cases was an interesting little thing, but it kind of snuck up on, I didn't even notice that game was doing what it was doing until they were in the until they were in the 13th inning, frankly. So uh, snuck under the radar there. And the Long Beach thing is kind of surprising. Um, I don't know what that bum Jared Weaver was doing when he was at Long Beach, but I For guess real? it was not throwing no hitters. What is up? Yeah. I mean, they have they have a ton of big leaguers. Can't throw a no hitter. Can't, can't mix yeah. one in somewhere. But uh, let's, go, they let's go Jason Vargas. Yeah. What, what, what are we doing here? Um, so it really just strange disappointing season for Long Beach State. Uh, John Watts Brown is a freshman, so uh, that that is a bright note for the future. Uh, quickly on ECU now, they definitely have snuck up on me a little bit here. 
they're up to 30 and 18. They're into the top 40 in RPI. They have a two game lead on Houston in the American. We've kind of been talking about the American as a one bid league. And, you know, the way ECU has played here, the way they've kind of run through the conference yet again, uh, it means that if what happened last year and that they trip up in the American tournament, I think, you know, they, they still have to finish these two weeks well. Uh, but they are trending towards, you know, in a position where if, if it happens again this year, they'll get in. They won't host, obviously. We're not talking about that, but they'll get in. And, uh, you know, the American could be a two-bit league that way. And it does seem like that's going to have to be the way it has to be because I, I've been bullish on Tulane at various times. Uh, their RPI just continues to not get where it needs to be, in part because they're just 10 and 8 in this conference. And Houston has an RPI of 78. That, that's not getting it done. So if you're looking at the American, it is, uh, it's looking good for ECU, not so good for anyone else to be an at-large team. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, they, they really have kind of flown that under the radar and given some of the stuff they dealt with, even way back in the preseason with, you know, Carson Wisenhunt going down and it's a team that got swept by Bryant, which is a team that turned out to not be good, <laughs> you know? Um, so really kind of a stealth thing for the, for the Pirates to get back into, uh, you know, Pirates often do like to uh, come in under the, you know, the, the dark of night uh, to Absolutely. not be seen. So um, it's no surprise, I guess, this is the way these Pirates have, have done it. And, you know, that's the mark of a, you know, one of the a mini marks of a program that kind of expects to win and, and does all those things is like, this is a team that didn't fold up and they've kind of continued winning. And like, it's clearly not a classic version of ECU baseball, but it's, it's one that's good enough to be in the mix for the postseason. And there's, I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Certainly another team that you're not going to be excited about seeing in your regional if you, uh, you do get drawn with ECU. Uh, they even made it on the top 25 sheet officially this week. So, you know, maybe maybe look for ECU to get back in the rankings here in the next couple of weeks. All righty, that's going to do it for us today here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. There's even more ground you can cover over at BaseballAmerica.com. You have the full top 25 and Joe's you know, analysis of each of what the teams did over the last week in the top 25. You can read off the bat my analysis of the weekend that was around college baseball, and there's plenty more to come throughout the week. We will be back here on Thursday to preview week 13 of college baseball. I mentioned a uh, top 10 showdown, Virginia Tech and Louisville, Miami and Florida State, a couple big ACC series. There's that one in the Big 12 with uh, uh, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. It really is a fun weekend. Um, it's one versus two, I think. Still, it's one versus two in Conference USA with UTSA and Southern Miss. There's a lot going on. We'll have a lot of fun getting into that on Thursday. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, follow, rate, review, anything you can do. It's a great time of year. We're coming at you twice a week throughout the regular season. So uh, hopefully you are you are subscribed already. And if not, still time to rectify that. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And uh, we have, the, the fun continues over there as well. All right. So we'll be back here on Thursday. Another big weekend of college baseball is on tap. We'll dive into that then. Thank you all for listening to this episode. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.